Welcome to another bonus podcast. My name is Thalia. I'm one of the pastors on staff at Northview Community Church. And today it's just me and Crystal. Mm-hmm. I'm getting interviewed, apparently. <laughs> Crystal, tell everyone a little bit about what you do here. Uh, I'm the pastor of women here. So I lead Bible studies and do lots of leadership development with mm-hmm. other women who are teaching and leading. Yeah. And normally we have guests with us. We have had a lot of guests over the fall and now over the winter. It's Mm -hmm. been a lot of fun. But today, Crystal asked if it could just be the two of us because we have a very interesting topic. Yeah. So this isn't anything that's kind of come out of the blue or we're not reacting to anything. We've Mm -mm. just been walking through 1 Corinthians with our women's Bible study. And actually the men have been doing it too, men's Bible study. And we came upon 1 Corinthians 11, verses 2 to 16, which is all about head coverings. (laughs) And I thought, wow, this would be a good... One to do on our podcast, just yeah. because lots of people have questions about it. And it also just talks about how we deal with difficult passages and why we don't just ignore them and skip yeah, over them. I know. And it's just one of those, I think it's like, as I was reading commentaries, like the most obscure and hotly debated passage in the whole New Testament. Really? So, yeah. So I thought we might as well spend some podcast air doing, yeah. talking about why we tackled this and how. Because when we think of head coverings... At least here in Abbotsford, we have a number of different groups that wear head coverings. Yeah. And so we see it in our daily grocery shopping and everyday life, but we don't always know why do they wear head coverings? Where does this come from and what does it mean for them? Yeah. What does it represent for them? And then how do people view it from culture watching? Yeah. Yeah. And some of us who've grown up in the church have some inkling that head coverings are mentioned in the Bible, but we really don't want to go there as women because it's kind of an uncomfortable, a little bit scary passage. Like, what is it going to say to us as yeah, are we gonna have to change our lifestyle? Yeah, and, yeah. The one thing I found, um, which totally made sense to me thinking about it later, but I wasn't quite thinking ahead of time, was that people know this is in the Bible, but they know we don't do it in our church. Yeah, and so there's this fear, like, okay, if I actually study it and decide whether or not I have to wear a head covering, what does that say about my value for the Bible? Yes, right. Like, if I decide not to do it, am I not being obedient to mm-hmm. the Bible? And if I say it's cultural. Just a cultural thing, so we don't necessarily need to do it. Does that mean I'm throwing out the authority of Scripture? Yes. And so people, instead of actually digging into this passage, just kind of want to hide away from it because they don't want to say something that they think is going to be heretical or yeah. like undermining Scripture's authority. Yeah. And yet they kind of feel like, well, it doesn't really apply to us, but they don't know how to say that yeah. in a way that also honors Scripture. So yeah, that was an interesting underlying mm-hmm. thing that came out. So for the fa- past few weeks, we've been telling women this passage is coming up. Do your homework, do your optional homework, because, of course, we allow women to have the possibility to not do their homework. Very grace-based women's ministry leadership here. You don't have to do your homework. You can come late. You can leave early. You can do all those things. But in this case, we really wanted women to do their homework because we knew it would be a challenging passage, and we wanted them to be as equipped as possible before we even went into the lesson. Yeah. So that's kind of been interesting as I've seen women kind of lean forward and go, oh, we're going to study this passage. I think I can actually learn about this. And I've seen a rising excitement growing in the women that are coming to our study. Yeah. The fact that as women, we're tackling a really hard passage. Yeah. Right. They think, oh, actually, we might be up for this. Yeah. (laughs) So it's been good. Yeah. So tell us, Crystal, like as we come across these difficult passages in the Bible, how should we kind of approach these yeah, so when we had our leadership breakfast in January, which was for all of our, our like small group leaders, community group leaders, that kind of thing, 
Um, one thing we walked through is the whole doctrine of Scripture. What do we understand about Scripture? And one of the pieces that came out of that, which I emphasized in this, is um, our confidence in the clarity of Scripture. So we believe that Scripture is clear enough for a child to read, for the majority of us who aren't educated biblical scholars to read mm-hmm. and understand. Um, that was one of the main things that separated the Protestants from the Catholics way back in the 1500s with Martin Luther and stuff, because the Catholics said, well, no, it's just the priests that need scripture because it's too difficult to understand. Right. And so we, as Protestant people, believe scripture is clear. But that, we have to define what that means, because okay. when we come to a text like this, we're like, but it's not clear. Yeah. And so what we say when, when we say that Scripture is clear, we're saying that in terms of the basic things that people need, the essentials that people need for salvation, mm-hmm. the message is clear. So we can find out who God is, we can find out His character, His nature, His plans for salvation. None of that is like foggy or messy or like it's very clear. And we can find out who people are, like who, what we are as mankind, with the nature of our hearts and yep. our sin and all these pieces, all those pieces that are essential for salvation are clear. So that's what we're affirming in the clarity of scripture, but we're not affirming that everything is equally clear. Right. And so we're acknowledging that there are passages like these 14 verses that are actually, like I said, this is probably one of the most hotly debated hmm. topics. And so by saying that scripture is clear, we're not saying that everything is equally clear okay. and that there might be some passages in scripture that we actually need to really listen to scholars and commentaries and yeah. do that historical work and and then be okay afterwards thinking, well, this is my best understanding of what it means, but yeah. I am open to still more yeah. you know, input because we can't say with certainty on these 14 verses that this is exactly what it means. There's mm-hmm. a lot of debate on it. Whereas you can read, you know, the story of First Samuel and know how David became king and like that's completely clear. Or you can yes. read the Gospels and you can know the story of Jesus and that's yeah. completely clear. So yeah. we just want to say that we're affirming that scripture is clear. We don't want to just throw up our hands and say, no. because of this one passage, because of these 14 verses, we had to have to make everybody kind of ditch this belief in the scripture. Yeah. That scripture is just so unclear and so vague and we just can't understand it. Yeah. Well, no, we want to affirm that the majority, 96, 98, whatever percent of the scripture is clear. And then when we come to these passages, just dig in and try and figure out what we can, kind of our best, our best study where we get on them. One of the problems we face, particularly in women's ministry, is that women will say, well, I'm not a pastor. I'm not a theologian. I haven't done my master's yep. in theology. So, Or I maybe even haven't gone to post-secondary school. I don't like to read. I don't know how to study. So I can't do this. Yeah. And they will give up yeah. very quickly. Yeah. And yet we found that women, as they get into this, whether mm-hmm. it's our studies or precept studies, and they actually start studying scripture on their own, they're, they're realizing, oh, I can make these connections. Yeah. I can understand it. So yeah. Yeah, so our thought is that, or kind of our advice that we gave yesterday is if you come through a difficult passage, um, read a bunch of different translations Mm because different different translators will come up with maybe a little different perspective of how they want to approach a topic. Yeah. Um, consult commentaries and, you know, we can give you suggestions on which ones. Don't just Google it. Yeah. That could be like disastrous, but solid commentaries and discuss and debate it constructively with people. Like, yeah. let's be open to other ideas and opinions and be willing to talk through that and then just keep an open mind when we when we arrive at conclusions like that's well one thing our listeners need to know behind the scenes is that 
Uh, Crystal, yes, is the pastor of women, but that doesn't mean that there isn't angst here. So she, I saw last week, we're in an open office, and so she knew this passage was coming. So she and her team of women and she and the other pastors, they were pouring over the books, and yeah. they were tugging things back and forth, and they were making a handout and then tweaking the handout. And there was so much talk going around the office about how to approach this passage and what to do. And there was not literal hair pulling, but it was kind of, <laughs> one time it was, you could feel the blood, sweat, and tears on this passage. Yeah, generally when yeah. I prepare for something, I'll read the text, I'll do a bunch of you know different tools that I've learned how to study the Bible, and I'll come up with kind of what I think, and I'll maybe check a commentary or two just to make sure I'm on track. Yeah. But this one was like, this oh, was yeah. serious, solid, like this is, I'm yeah. reading every single perspective that I could come across. And, yeah, and talking about it and, and you know, tweaking it and figuring it out and working it through. And so I just want to encourage our listeners that if you're doing this in your Bible study, whether it's Precept or First Corinthians or you're at your own church, Yes, that's normal. That's the hard work. And please feel like that is normal, and some passages do require that. Yeah, and some, some of our table leaders came to our meeting. We have always a, a pre-meeting prior to our um, session, just so that we can kind of help them prep. And they're like, am I the only one that doesn't get this? And I'm like, nope. <laughs> like, we have scholars fighting over that clause. Yeah. So don't feel like you're dumb. Yeah. Just put a big question mark and... And talk through it. Mm-hmm. The fun thing this year is that because we have the men and women's study doing the same thing, yeah. Corinthians, it was really fun to debate this with Paul yeah. and with uh, Jeff and with Greg and just talk through, okay, how do yep. we want it? Because we wanted to present it in a unified manner between yes. all the different ministries. We don't want to confuse people by the no. men's ministry doing it one way and the women's one way. Right. So that was, that was a fun added part. Yeah, I think yeah. so too. Yeah. So the second thing uh, we want to encourage people when we talked about this is that um, in the church, we have open-handed and closed-handed um, doctrines, yeah. and we have some things that we will not kind of budge on that are core to the Christian faith. Mm-hmm. And if you don't believe them, well, we would kind of question whether you're not a Christian. Yeah. So things like whether or not Jesus is God—that's the difference between like Christianity and Juda or yeah, and Judaism and Mormonism and Jehovah Witness, right? Those, yeah. those are core things. And then there's what we call open-handed which are things which aren't as core and which good Christians will debate about how this actually works in the Bible, because there might be maybe only four verses in scripture that talk about something. So then we have to say, okay, how do we look at this within the light of all of scripture? And so things like infant baptism versus adult baptism, things like in this case, we'll we'll talk about is like just gender roles in the Mm -hmm. church, whether there's an authority and submission kind of within marriages. Mm-hmm. Um, what would be other ones that we'd say are open-handed, close-handed, like the um, end times kind of ideas, yeah. like what's going to happen yeah. in Revelation? Like, is it true? amillennial, post-millennial, pre-millennial? And, and I think it's important for people to know that even in our elder board, we have people with differences of opinion mm-hmm. on some of these open-handed things. So yeah. we're not saying to be in leadership at Northview, you have to like download our brain and <laughs> yeah. all have the same thoughts on That's everything, right? right? Yeah. We want to be able to push and pull and talk mm-hmm. through these things. So that was one thing I wanted people to know as we were walking to this passage. I don't feel like, you know, there's one right way. We yeah. want to look at all the different ways of looking through this passage. And, and that seemed to settle people down a bit too, to feel yeah. like, oh, I'm not going to like be outed if I kind of... No, because what you're this. saying is that there are Christians, very well-studied researched Christians who have looked at this passage and have come to different, um, have landed on different ways in this passage, and yet we are still Christians, we'll still be in heaven if we hold to those closed-handed core issues, and yet we don't know all the open-handed issues. We haven't got them all sorted out. Yeah. So how we walk together as Christians is so Mm -hmm. important, like that whole, you know, thought of our our end goal in all of this is to be loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and loving our neighbor as ourself. Yeah. And it's loving either other Christian brothers and sisters yeah. that come to different perspectives. So, yeah. 
So it's important for us to be okay. Mm-hmm. And that's sometimes hard. Like I know even with me, when I have people who disagree with me on things, you feel like this desire to persuade them I or know. this fear that they're going to go somewhere weird with it. Or, But we have to be okay with that. So. Yeah. So that said, should we start walking into the passage? Sure. Yeah. Okay. So we know that some of you are driving, some of you are walking, some of you are doing chores around the house, whatever. So you don't have this handout in front of you. You don't maybe even have your Bible open. That's fine. You can get the handout that we gave to the Women's Bible Study. And uh, Crystal, where do they get that from? If you go onto the Northview website under women, um, then there's four or six kind of little boxes of pictures you'll see. And one says podcasts and resources. Under the resources, um, that's where you'll find a video teaching of this topic and also a handout. Okay. And so there's an 11 by 17 version, which is what we, which we handed out to people. So that allows you to see it kind of as one big sheet. Yeah. Um, but then we also saved on there uh, just a regular paper size. So if you want to print it out, you just might have to kind of piece it together yeah. so that you can see how we did it. But that way, we thought a lot of people don't have printers that can do 11 by 17. Right. So. And so we know that you may not have this handout before you. And of course, that's totally fine. We're going to kind of just do the broad overview so that you can do a little more in-depth work if you want to. Yeah. But we are going to read the scripture so that you kind of know what we're talking about. Yeah. And then yeah. what we want to do at the end is figure out, like, how do we translate that to today? Yeah. So that's our goal for the next 20 minutes mm-hmm. or so. Mm-hmm. So 1 Corinthians 11, this 14 verses, um, as we go through the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul has repeatedly kind of every section that we've taken on, he's addressed a new issue that's in the church. And he's trying to give them some theological understanding to figure out how they should deal with this and then some practical application of that. And so this is no different than that. There's an issue that he's addressing. And so the issue we can find in verses four and five. So I'll just start there and then I'll read the whole passage. So the issue that he's addressing, it, uh, he, he words it like this. He says, every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. It's the same as having her head shaved. So the issue that he's addressing in this passage is the fact that there were women in the congregation who were praying and prophesying with their head uncovered. And this was causing some disgrace upon them and upon the relationships within their church. Mm -hmm. And so he's writing this whole passage to correct that behavior. So that's kind of with that in mind. Okay. We'll walk through and stop me if you think I'm being unclear. Okay. Um, we'll walk through the whole thing. Yes, so, today is the Crystal show, and I'm just here to go, mm-hmm, uh-huh. Well, okay, and, and also clarify. to say, Crystal, you're not making any sense. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So 1 Corinthians 11, 2 to 16 begins like this. I praise you for remembering me in everything and for holding on to the traditions that just as I pass them on to you. But, but, <laughs> Paul's yeah. good with the buts, but I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ and the head of the woman is man and the head of Christ is God. And then here's a problem again. Verse four, every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. It is the same as, if, as having her head shaved. For if a woman does not cover her head, she might as well cut her hair off. But if it is a disgrace for a woman to have her hair cut off or her head shaved, then she should cover her head. A man ought not to cover his head since he is the image and glory of man or of God, but woman is the glory of man. For woman did not come for man did not come from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for a woman, but woman for man. It is for this reason that a woman ought to have authority over her own head because of the angels. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. For as woman came from man, so also man is born of woman. But everything comes from God. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray with her head uncovered? Does not the very nature of things teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a disgrace to him? 
but if that if a woman has long hair, it is for glory, for long hair is given to her as a covering. If anyone wants to be contentious about this, we have no other practice, nor do the churches of God. So if you're following along, that can be really confusing. Yeah. The head and the head and uncovering and covering, and you can just get all twisted up in that. Yeah. Yeah. So I think the first thing that's good to do is to, if you're looking at the scripture passages, Mm -hmm. to realize that these are three different paragraphs in scripture. And so the, the... the translators have told you there's three different ideas yeah. that are going on here. So the first is that Paul is making an argument about what you do with your head based on this whole idea, kind of a play on words of head, like yeah. head, ship, authority, those kind of things. That's the first verses, like verses two to six. Well, there's a difference between physical head and head meaning authority. Yeah. 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 So we'll get into that. Yeah. The second section between 7 and 12, which is the next paragraph you'll see in your Bible, he's making an argument about this head covering thing related to creation, how we were made by God. Mm -hmm. And so that's the second part of the argument. And the third part of the argument, verses 13 to 15, he's making an argument from culture. He's saying, look around you and see if what I'm saying is true. And so it's helpful if you think of it in these three, like he's making three points. It's like a three-point sermon here. Yeah. The first one's related to how we think about our heads. The second thing is related to how we think about creation. And the third is how we think about culture. Okay. So the headship piece, if you look at those verses two to six, basically what Paul is saying here is that what we do with our physical head um, impacts the honor or dishonor that we're showing to our spiritual head. And Mm -hmm. so it's this idea of using head in two ways. So head means physically your head. Yeah. And secondly, it means someone in authority over you or... Another interpretation is the source of you. But that's the idea is that what we do with our head gives honor or dishonor to yeah. those people or to those um, entities. So when we think, when we talk through it, we talked about the fact that we know this today yeah. in culture. There's certain spots where we know it's not appropriate to wear something on our heads. And yeah. so you see people at football games or at basketball games, when there's a na- national anthem, they'll take off their hat or they'll yes. take something off their head. And so it's a picture in our minds that we know that somehow something that we do with our physical body affects how we're showing respect Mm -hmm. in that kind of a setting. And so in prayer too, oftentimes if men are praying, they'll take their hat off, right? And so it's not a new idea. No. But basically what he's saying in this passage is that what we do with our heads gives honor or dishonor to some of these authority structures in our life. And showing honor is important. Yeah. So that's that first section. Um, Now, where that gets a little bit debated or hotly debated is people will argue about what the word head means Mm -hmm. when it's translated in that kind of metaphorical sense. Like, does it mean authority over somebody or does it mean the source of something? So people who will say authority over then talk about that this talks about an authority structure within the church, Mm -hmm. that men... Men have authority over their wives, that Christ has, or God has authority over Christ, and Christ has authority over man. And they'll yeah. talk it through in those terms. People who use the word to mean source, so you think of head as like the head of a river, so the source of a river. Yeah. They will say it doesn't have anything to do with authority structure. It just talks about the fact that we're all kind of created from each other, like women came from man, um, God sent Christ to earth, those kind of pieces. And so that's okay. where the debate goes. Is this talking about all men and all women? Or is it talking about how a husband and wife okay. kind of relate within the church as they're practice as they're prophesying or praying? Okay. So that would be the big debate. I would land on the side of authority, okay. just because of the research that I've done, and um, 
if you download this document, you'll see that uh, there's lots of different links to different articles okay. that kind of give a value for that that reading. But that's something you have to work through. Yeah. How you think it through. Okay. So that's the argument related to headship or authority that uh, that a wife should honor her husband as she prays and prophesies in church by um, showing signs of authority that she's under the authority or that she's a married woman. Yeah. So we'll talk about what that looks like culturally. Yeah. But and men need to honor their spiritual head with his Christ. Yes. And it, people can get twisted up because then it is saying that God is an authority over Christ. Can you yeah. speak to that a little bit? Yeah. So if we look through the Bible, <clears throat> we see over and over again that um, the Holy Spirit, Jesus, and God the Father are all called God, and yet they have different roles. Yeah. And so we have the, God the Father is like the creator of the universe. Uh, Jesus the Son is the one who made things, and the Holy Spirit is the one who enlivens it, like who brings life to creation. When we think of salvation, God the Father had the plan of salvation. Jesus Christ was the one who came to earth and actually accomplished salvation for us. And the Holy mm -hmm. Spirit is the one who enables us to accept it, mm -hmm. to grow in it, to be mm -hmm. sanctified in it. And so we have these three persons in God, and <clears throat> they have different roles. And so when we look in Scripture, we see that Christ while he was on earth, for sure, submitted to the will of the Father. Yes. And so this idea of Christ, the head of Christ being God, which comes up in this passage, is that acknowledgement that Christ, while he was on earth, submitted to God's mm -hmm. will. And so within earthly marriages, there's this thought that um, there's a submission authority relationship mm -hmm. within a marriage. Yeah. Not a less than or greater than. They are equal. Husbands and wife are equal before God in their dignity and their value, their worth, yeah. their opportunity for salvation. But there's a difference in role yeah. is what speaking to in this passage. That's what, yeah, that's what I think is what it's talking about. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's that landing on the fact that men have that authority mm -hmm. within the family. And again, we, even within this passage, Paul clarifies that because as he goes into verses 11 and 12, he says, Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. For as woman came from man, so also man is born of woman. But everything comes from God. Mm -hmm. But Paul is saying he's here, let's like let's not take go crazy with this. Like just because the fact that you we're giving you men authority to lead your to lead your wife and lead your family, don't rule it over her. Like yeah. you came from man came from woman, woman came from man, you're interdependent. Yeah. And so this isn't a, a blanket um call for abuse or no. like for anything. That's no dominance. No dominance. No squashing. No, it's just mm -mm. that leading people into the best way, uh, leading your wife into well, ways that will help her flourish, help mm -hmm. her to be the best wife that she can be, help her to be the best mom that she can be. Yeah. Kind of just showing that oversight and that leadership. Like yeah. Christ loved the church and he gave himself up for the church yeah. and he presents the church before God, mm -hmm. all these things. So that's the picture that we have here. Yeah. So... <clears throat> As we go through it, we won't go through it in much more detail, but the whole idea here is that there's principles that Paul is teaching that are timeless. So the principles that he's teaching in this passage are that there's a structure in that the head of every man is Christ, the head of a woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. That's yeah. the overlying principle. Then how we actually picture that or embody that in the church might look different in different cultures. Right. So in this culture... It was... Um, you mean the Corinthian culture? In the Corinthian culture, the okay. book that it, yeah, the people that this was written to, that meant that for a, a woman had to cover her head in church because in that setting, to have your head uncovered, either either to have your head uh, hair loosened or to have to not have like a veil or a covering on it, indicated that you either that you weren't married or that you were a loose 
person, like an mm-hmm. adulterous person, um, or that you were just in some kind of pagan prophetic kind of frenzy. Okay. That was kind of what the symbolization of having your head uncovered meant. And so okay. you can imagine if you were in a church as a woman praying or prophesying and you just took your head covering off, yeah. basically you're saying, I'm not married or I'm an adulteress yeah. or I'm pagan. Right. Right. And so that would signify to the congregation something that you don't want them to have. Yeah. And so Paul is saying, don't do this. Like no. when you're in church praying and prophesying, recognize if people looked at you, they should know that you're a married woman, if you are, or that you're a faithful woman. Yeah. And that you're not following pagan practices. Yeah. You're following God's design. Okay. Stop there for just a second. Cause you said something really important. You said that women were allowed to pray and prophesy in church. Yeah. But in a certain way. Yeah. So that's, but this whole passage, like we won't go into all the detail of this handout, but that's basically the thrust of this whole passage is that women pray and prophesy, but do it in a way that honors your husband, Mm -hmm. in a way that honors the authority and structures of the church, and in a way that people coming from the outside would not think ill of you, would not have a wrong impression of you. Yeah. Yeah. So how do we do that now? What does that look like in our culture, in our churches? Yeah. So what we talked about, um, if you look at verse 10... Of this passage, it talks about, for this reason, a woman ought to have authority over her own head because of the angels. Basically, the interpretation of that passage is that women need to take respect or take charge of themselves because the angels are watching over our worship services, the Mm -hmm. worship of God. That's kind of the main gist that I could get from all the different readings of it. Um, An added thing that the ESV adds to that is women should have a symbol of authority on their head. And so that means just a symbol of showing that they are bound to somebody if they are. And so we talked about what that symbol of authority would be in our culture would be a wedding ring. Mm -hmm. And so I have known friends who, uh, like one of our friends, when he was younger, he would go to university and he'd take his wedding ring off. Well, what's he signifying by doing that is that he's available. He doesn't want people to know that he's bound to somebody else, right? We had other friends who... When they would fight, they'd take their wedding rings off. Yeah. And that it's a signal. You can understand that's a big signal. It's not just taking yeah. off a ring. It's no. like telling your, telling your spouse, I'm not actually wanting to be married to you at this moment. Yeah. I don't want to be under your authority or have any kind of bound to you. I just yeah. want to like lay it all on the table. And yeah. so we understand that wearing your wedding ring mm-hmm. is a symbol of showing people that you're married. People will look yeah. at you and they'll know that you're a married person. Yes. And so if you wouldn't do that, yeah. it would be sending the wrong signals. Right. So if this is talking about married women in the church, like we talked about, whether this talks about the, that submission authority within a husband and wife relationship, then we asked the group to brainstorm, what does it look like to honor your husband as you pray and prophesy in church? Yeah. And so the first one was what wearing the wedding ring. Yeah. The second one, um, second idea that came up was um, not maybe praying one-on-one with another man. Yeah. So not crossing some of those boundaries that could mm-hmm. lead to intimacy with somebody else. Mm -hmm. Um, Another idea that came up with um, was, uh, what was the other one? I think you said not arguing with your spouse in public, like not dishonoring them in front of other people. Yeah. So this is specifically within the church, Mm -hmm. within that gathered assembly. And so, yeah. So as you're doing stuff within the church, as you're praying, as you're prophesying, making sure that you're honoring your husband, you're Mm -hmm. not contradicting him. You're not saying negative things about him in public all those kind of pieces. If you and your husband have something to work out, yeah. it's fine to disagree and to disp- dispute things in in private, but not doing that publicly in front of the whole gathered assembly. Yeah. It's just showing disrespect. Because we often are in churches, we're in, in the hallways and we are in um, the church setting together and we can get into snits. And so you don't need to like dishonor them in that kind of a setting. Yeah. Yeah. And hopefully you don't 
at the coffee shop either <laughs> later. No, no. But specifically about the here, gathering assembly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that doesn't mean you can't have d- disagreements, like you said. But no. just honor. You can honor people in the midst of having a disagreement with them. Yeah, yeah. So that was the one application for this. The second piece uh, that we asked is, what does it look like if this isn't talking about the husband-wife relationship? Like if it is just using that source argument that Gordon Fee says, it's not about hierarchy in marriage, but it's just about um, acknowledging that we all come to from the same source and need to respect and honor each other as gender, as male and female, then what does that mean for us? Mm-hmm. And so that wasn't so much about the marriage relationship, but it was just in general, like as women... We don't want it to be a stumbling block no. for men in our congregation. No. In terms of what we wear, right? Yeah. In terms of whether or not we're flirting with other people. Yeah. Like this is for single women, yeah. married women, everybody. Yeah. yeah. And showing respect to the people above us for you and I. That's our lead pastor and the elders above us. And so how we interact with them uh, speaks to that authority structure. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot of ways of applying this that have nothing to do with whether or not we cover our heads. Mm-hmm. Because in our culture, if we look at someone in the grocery store or whatever, like you said, we're not necessarily understanding that that means, oh, she's a married person. Oh, she's in submission to her husband. Mm-hmm. Oh, she's respecting her husband. It doesn't have that same signifier. No. But the principle stays the same. It's just we want to apply, okay, how does that, how, what does it look like to honor our husbands, to honor authority in the church? Mm-hmm. And then we need to see the cultural applications for that. You also spoke a little bit about the difficulties you've encountered being a pastor here at Northview. Can you speak a little bit about that? Yeah, I think it's, depending on which side you are on this topic, you'll come at Northview differently. So I've been emceeing on a weekend and I've had um, people come up to me either a a little bit upset or just confused saying, why are you allowed to speak at Northview? Why are you allowed to pray in front of the assembly, like, mm-hmm. why are you allowed to be a woman pastor? And they think this is like the Northview's kind of stepping the line that we're going way too kind of liberal. Okay. And then we've had other people come to, you know, both of us and say, how in the world can you be at Northview? It must be so oppressive because they don't allow women to preach. Right. And so for you out there listening, you need to know we're being banged from both sides here because (laughs) Northview's trying to, we're trying to walk the line of being faithful to scripture in this Mm -hmm. and saying, yes, we are allowing women to participate in the gathered assembly in in appropriate, respectable ways. Mm -hmm. We're allowing them to pray. We're allowing them to Um, lead communion, lead worship. Yeah. And teach in some settings. Like, so Mm we, our leadership breakfast, this this last little while, leadership breakfast for our community group leaders. And I did some teaching. Thalia did some teaching. Mm -hmm. Uh, We've taught TLC classes. Yeah. We've done a lot of adult kind of education pieces. And Northview is in, as a leadership, is in favor of that. Yeah. There's some restrictions on us preaching on the weekend, but that's the only restriction. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's interesting that um, we're trying to faithfully interpret passages like this. Yeah. But we get banged from both sides. Yeah, and we're trying to figure out how to walk this out. Because I know I've been at Northview now six years on staff, and Crystal and I have had questions about, can we do this? Can we do that? How do we honor the people who are in leadership over us and not cross the line? And yet, how do we, when they give us authority to do something, how do we walk that faithfully? Yeah, and just embrace it and go with it and Uh not be scared to shrink back ourselves. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. One thing that came up as a question as a result of this, which which, which was good, is someone said to me, um, I know this is an open-handed issue, but at what point would you leave a church or not be part of a church if they had a different interpretation than you of how this works out? Like whether this is related to... Of this to, passage in particular this or passage any or passage? In general, in the whole, it was basically the idea of um, kind of the complementary and egalitarian debate, which is 
whether we see there being an authority structure in marriage, which would be more complementarian with men being godly leaders and women being um, just kind of the helpers who complete the man, that kind of idea mm -hmm. of the complementarian structure or the egalitarian structure, which would see men and women as kind of interchangeable in terms of role and in terms of what they can do in the church and those kind of things. So this passage fits into those debates mm -hmm. because it depends how you interpret the word head, like yeah. I said. And so the, the question was basically like, if you're at a, if you're a complementarian person who believes in, in authority and structure in marriage and you're at an egalitarian church, is that a reason to leave the church or not? Right. And so my answer that I gave to her and what I've given to other people in the past is that I think you want, what you want to be, um, comfortable with is whether your leadership is on the same page with you as to whether or not this is an open-handed question or not. So if you're a committed complementarian and you really believe that this is the way you should interpret scripture, um, and you're open to being in a church that can see both sides, is your church as open to it? Like are yeah. the, if you, if you raise your opinion, are they going to squash you right. or not? Are they going to allow you to say your opinion or not? Yeah. And so if they're not going to allow you to say both opinions, well then maybe it might be place to leave. So the same would but, be if you are a committed egalitarian yep. and you're at Northview, yeah. you know, and you disagree, can you do that cooperatively and well, or is it going to cause you so much difficulty that Northview maybe won't be your church home? Yeah. Yeah. So I would say people who we know that have done it well can serve well. We have people on our elder board, like yeah. I said, that have more of an egalitarian bent, and yet they're serving the church well. Yeah. So I think it depends on your personal comfort with yeah. this issue, whether it can be an open-handed issue for yeah. you, and your church's comfort with that issue, yeah. whether it can be open-handed for your church. Yeah, because you don't want to come to church every week being so aggravated and your stomach churning and being, then you can't serve well. No. So I think it's it's not a right or wrong. It's a personal comfort level yeah. piece. And then I think, you know, bottom line, you want to know, is your church trying to seek to follow God and love your neighbor and, mm -hmm. and love and love yeah. God, right? And we would and say the honor same. the scriptures. Yeah. yeah. And we would say the same for Christian friends, Christian family members, because we don't all have to fall on the same side of, of the argument. We can have complementarians and egalitarians in our families and friendship circles, and we can still be Christians and working together and, and caring for each other. Totally. Yeah. We don't want to. We don't want to divide friendships and family We're over this. We're so quick to want to cut up people off, especially yeah. when they have conversation that makes us feel uncomfortable or frustrated. Yeah. We just want to say, "Oh, I just don't want to deal with that anymore." But, yeah. And so that's kind of where we left the discussion a little bit yesterday. Like when you do come up with these hot topics, like what's your response? Do you just like avoid it and just yeah. run away, or are you willing to engage, or does it really make you mad? Like think yeah. about why. How do you work through topics of mm -hmm. disagreement? Mm -hmm. So. That's good. Yeah. So if you're still confused after all this mm -hmm. as to what we're teaching, is that the head covering in Paul in Corinth represented whether or not somebody was willing to submit to authority. Yeah. And so the timeless principle we took out of this passage is that the way we conduct ourselves in church um, shows whether we're honoring or dishonoring the authority mm -hmm. within our marriages and, and the authority within the church leadership structure. And so as Christians, we may not have to cover our, or uncover our heads because that's not a signifier for us in our culture. So much of honor or dishonor, but we want to, in culturally appropriate ways, show that we're honoring. Yeah. So that's wearing a wedding ring or it's just talking respectfully, mm -hmm. being aware of not flirting and not wearing loose clothing, all those kind of pieces that would signify that we're being respectful. Yeah. And if you want more resources, go to the northview.org website 
under women and you'll find the resources for this. Or you can just email um, us at bonus at northview.org if you've forgotten all of those links and figure out how to get it and just yeah. ask us for it. Yeah. And we'll guide you there. Yeah. And we are very happy to have this conversation with yes. people. This is not a scary no. thing for us. Like people are often worried to get into this with us because they think we're going to have defensiveness or whatever but we're not no we've been having these kind of conversations at least since i've been on here six years and yep. it's a pretty regular it wouldn't be every week but almost every week there are kinds of these kinds of questions so you're very welcome to approach either of us yeah. and we have all kinds of books and articles and resources for you and we're not going to force you into no. being <laughs> no one way of thinking no well let me pray for our listeners okay. as we close up Lord, we are so thankful for you, so thankful for your word. We want to love you with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And part of loving you is loving the word that you breathed out to us. And so, Lord, would you help us when we are reading your words to help us to understand faithfully in context? Lord, would you help us to be men and women that will dig deep, that will consult commentaries and other faithful Christians? Would you help us to walk well with others who may have a different um perspective on the passage that we are reading. Lord, we pray that you will grow us in just to be men and women that love you and love others. We ask all these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time. 